Well, good morning. It's like a Nine Inch Nail video meets techno. That's, that's what I think of every time I look at that intro. I love it. Hey, um, we're going to look at Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. And I want to kind of begin with this big thought, this big idea. It's in your notes. God moves and people respond with holiness. It's kind of the big idea. It's not Roman numeral one, as the notes say, but it's totally okay because that's kind of the, the big idea. So we're going to celebrate God for those involved. So God moves and people respond with holiness. Here's the deal. God is moving all over the world. And when God moves, so does our enemy. And so what happens is this, God's plan cannot be thwarted, it can't be defeated. But it doesn't mean that the enemy's not at work. I read a book by Richard Wormbrand and he was talking about how the gospel was going out in communist Romania at the time, this was after World War II, and the enemy was at work jailing Christians and pastors all over. And the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines because God is moving amongst his people. And it's up to us to respond with holiness. Nehemiah chapter 7, 8, and 9 is what we're going to be looking at today. I'm not going to read it all. I really was tempted and I wanted to, but I figured after the 15 minutes of me reading, I would only have about five minutes to preach and then bring the conclusions and stuff. So I think it's important, and I think you ought to read the genealogies, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to read Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to continue on as we go through this. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get, I'll say a few words, and then we're going to jump in. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, I set up doors, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. So you want to make them look that they were more than they had. And no houses had been rebuilt. And I think this is important. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, there's so much in these three chapters, Lord God, that I'm not going to do it justice unless your Holy Spirit takes it and speaks through your word to our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Father, that this word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray, Lord God, that you would use this in the hands of your Holy Spirit as a sharp, double-edged sword, just as your word says. Divide between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. Lord God, and help us not to just be hearers of the word only, but help us to be doers of your word. Lord God, I pray, Father, that you would use this to transform us in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. 
And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So let me tell you what happened um, on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday morning, um, I call a pastor friend of mine in Jordan, and he's sharing with me uh, the need for prayer. And I'm sharing this to you, church, because I need you to pray. And this is what he did. I was calling him, and I, we were on a conversation, and we're going back and forth, and he's telling me about what God is doing in Gaza right now. Okay? So you've got Hamas, and they're attacking Israelis and killing them and, and killing. It's just horrible, right? But in the midst of that, there are Christian Palestinians that are proclaiming the gospel and being executed, okay? They're going house to house. One of the main pastors in the city has already been killed. And he's calling me and he's saying, pray for them. And I'm like, absolutely. And he says, let me tell you what's happening. There was a prayer group and a bunch of the pastors got together and they came to kill him. And all of them got out miraculously. But some of them are being killed as they're being hunted house to house, exterminating these Christians. And so this pastor friend of mine in Jordan, he's telling me what's going on and, and, I'm, and I'm listening to him and I'm saying, okay, like, so what are we gonna do? And he's saying, I've already talked to them and I've asked them, I said, we can sneak you out. We can get you to safety. And they said to my friend, he said, you don't understand, pastor. We've been praying for this for years. Because right now, the people are afraid and they're turning to Christ in the droves. He says there's a revival that's breaking out because Hamas is trying to use them as human shields and they don't know what to do and they're turning to Christ and they said, if it costs us our life, we're okay because we've been praying for these people to come to know Christ. Whoa. Mind blown, right? They're in gratitude. They're grateful for their circumstances. Even though you and I would say those are less than favorable. In Nehemiah chapter seven, eight, and nine, there's three distinct movements that I want you to see. These three chapters represent how God moved and his people responded. See, God empowered them. They were faithful to the vision to build the wall. But now, God's not done. They just rebuilt a wall, right? And so when we get to Nehemiah chapter seven, we see what Nehemiah does now that the wall is built and the gates are rebuilt. And in Nehemiah chapter seven, he gives what I call the bricks. Have you ever been to a building and everyone bought a brick and then they put it down on the path and everybody kind of walks on the path? This section is the bricks part. And some people, oh, that family has like 27 bricks. Woo! And that family has like one brick. But he's going through and giving the list of returned exiles what they did, the sacrifices they made, the monies that they gave. 
the people and the gifts that they did here in chapter 7. And so, just like when you look back at chapter um, 3, when he's rebuilding the wall and he goes through the list, and then there's that guy and he has his daughters, and he's like, I don't need sons, I have daughters. Don't worry, they'll rebuild the wall better. And you know how archaeologists are like finding part of Nehemiah's wall? I bet that's the part that the daughters did. You know, I always think about that. I was like, I wonder if that's where the girls did that. So they built it to last. But anyway, so you have these, this, this, this brick thing. Like everybody, here's the sacrifices everybody's made, just like in Nehemiah 3. And he's going through that there in Nehemiah chapter 7. The wall is done and they're high-fiving and there's like, they, they, they've accomplished this. None of the houses are rebuilt yet though. So Jerusalem has a wall about it. It's a kind of a shell of a city, all right? And Nehemiah is trying to make it look like there's more people there so they don't get attacked and all that strategy stuff. And, and, and they're, they're basically, the whole assembly comes together and they have all of these people and they're singing and they have camels and they have all of these things and everybody's giving money. And, and it's the seventh month, and this is significant, the people of Israel were in their towns. But then Nehemiah calls everybody back together and they all come for chapter eight. So the first movement is this. The people are recognized and accounted for when the wall was finished. And the key characteristic here is unity and accountability to each other together. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The people are recognized and accounted for. There are some people here, and one of them's here. He's one of my favorite people in the world. His name's Mark Thompson. He's responsible for this building, Okay. Like a, a large part of it. I know there's tons of people that gave it, but he's probably because of my favorite. But um, he's so instrumental and he knows where everything is in this building. And we should recognize the people that helped make this happen. And so we say thank you, Mark. And we say thank you to Mark Kramer and all of you and Tom and all of the people that came in here to help faithfully serve. And some of you guys came in here and said, I painted that little section of wall right there. Yes. You know, and I painted that section and, 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 and it's awesome because everybody came together. It's a beautiful thing. And God built this building and finished it and he used his church to do it. And they all came together and, and they were unified and the accountability of what they gave was all re recorded. And they focused on the Lord. And they kept their commitments until they were done. And now there's a second movement here in chapter 8. And this is the time when Ezra, Nehemiah brings Ezra in. He's a, he's a priest and he's a scribe. And I'm going to read chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man, meaning they were tightly packed, into the square before the water gate. Nixon was not there, I don't think. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. 
So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, this is verse two, and all who could understand what they had heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Why does he keep saying for those that could understand, those that could understand? Because you need to understand when they were in captivity in their homes, they spoke Hebrew, okay? But they had to learn the Babylonian language of the day. And so some people weren't as well versed in their Hebrew. And so people are trying to understand. But the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, but everybody was ready to receive it. Verse four, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Okay, then it talks about some people now, verse six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there's this humility that's taking place as they're reading the word of God, okay? Now, I just want to stop and I want to pull out a couple of things. One, every time you see water in Scripture, it's about cleansing. There's a cleansing, okay? So at the Watergate, so I know that's not for Americans. When we hear Watergate, we hear, you know, the secret voices and the recordings and all of that. But there's this Watergate. Every time you see that in Scripture, they're here and there's a cleansing that takes place. And then in verse four, when it talks about that the scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform. What's interesting is a thousand years later, there's another person that changed everything. And it wasn't by reading on a wooden platform, but it was dying on a wooden cross. Jesus Christ. Same city. It's preparation. And all of the people heard the word of God. And they responded. So if you're taking notes, here's the second movement. The spiritual leader Ezra reads the law at the water gate on the wooden platform. And the key characteristic here is humility before the Lord. They were humble. They responded with their faces to the ground. They were all packed in there. Can you imagine? It says they were all packed in as one man, meaning they're tight together. And I don't know if you've ever been on subways when it's been crowded during rush hour, but that's no fun. Can you imagine being crowded like that and then all of a sudden getting on your knees and your face on the ground when you're that crowded? That'd be awkward. Because like everybody's like on their face and then their bottoms are in the air and then you're like, faces are on the ground and you're like, can you just imagine what's going on? But they don't care about that. Why don't they care about that? Because they're humble before the Lord. Doesn't matter what's happening. Doesn't matter whose butt's in my face or whatever. It, all that matters is that I'm humble before the Lord. I'm broken before the Lord. I'm responding to the law of God. See, most of us can be hearers of the word, but we don't want to do what the scripture says. 
Now, why is this important for us to understand? Every time in Scripture you see Jesus talking, and I've never understood this when I was growing up, I would read the Scripture and I would go, how come to the woman who's crying on Jesus' feet, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, but then the rich young ruler, he says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Have you ever wondered about that? Is Jesus teaching a different gospel? I don't understand. Have you ever thought that? Like, why is he giving this woman forgiveness and not just looking at this guy and go, hey, your sins are forgiven. Come follow me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But here's the response. Every time you see Jesus interacting with somebody who's arrogant, you know what he does? He gives them God's law. It's law to the proud, but grace to the humble. James writes this. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you're here today and you're feeling opposed, I'm feeling opposed in my job, I'm feeling opposed at home, I'm feeling opposed in all of these relationships and all this stuff that's happening, maybe it's not the Satan that we talk about. Maybe it's just the fact that we're arrogant and it's God who's opposing us. Just a thought. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so in this, you see that they are humble before the Lord. There's humility before God. They're on their faces before God because they are responding to God's word and God's law. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. So look at verses seven. So this is how the movement takes place. So in chapter seven, they're celebrating. Woo, we, have ta- we did the wall. Yeah, high-fiving. And look at how much everybody gave and look what's going on. Then Ezra gets up and reads the law at Watergate and all of a sudden they realize they're dirty. They're sinful, they're arrogant. And they get humble. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. Because remember, Jesus and the, the rich young ruler, what did Jesus say? Hey, keep the law and the commandments. And what did the, what did the man say? This I've done since I was a boy. And Jesus said, yeah, but one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. See, it was the first commandment. God said, don't have any other gods before you. And money was his God, and that was before, his, before God. So God said, get rid of your, your God. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. But this woman who's weeping at Jesus' feet and taking her hair and washing the feet, Jesus just looks at her and says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Why? Grace to the humble. So the people are there and the law of God breaks their hard heart. When I read the word of God, I'm convicted. But here's the response and the movement that has to take place. I don't just stay convicted and repent of my sins and stay where I am. This is what the people did. Look at chapter eight, verse nine. It says in Nehemiah, well, let's back up to verse eight of Nehemiah chapter eight. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. I love that, clearly. There wasn't any guesswork. Nobody was interpreting it. They were just reading it straight. I mean, so many people that say, hey, I don't know what God wants me to do. Like, I'm not hearing from God. 
Here's a whole book of what God wants you to do, church. This is what God wants you to do. Wait a second, wait. No, but I mean, I'm talking like something special for me. This is special for you. Let's not be hearers of the word only, but let's be doers. We hear it, and then we just have to put it into practice. Are we gonna do what the Bible says? It's not the fact that we know what the Bible says. The question here this morning is, are we gonna do it? Well, uh, you know, oh man, now, man, bring back Pastor Nate. No, are we going to tithe? The Bible says to do that, so we're going to do that. It's not a, it's not a question of, uh, you know, can I, can I not? No, you just do it. We're going to honor our parents. We're going to do it. We're going to have any other gods before our God. We just do it. When you read the word of God, clearly, it brings clarity. And it says, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse nine now, now Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So let me tell you what's happened. All of a sudden they hear the law and they all fall apart. <sighs> we haven't been doing this. Oh no. And they're sulking. So they're repenting, but they're not moving. They've repented, but they're not obeying. It's one thing to recognize that you're missing it. It's another thing to do something about it. So they respond with, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send the portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. The people recognized that it's not ourselves that make us holy, but the day is holy to the Lord because we're going to respond to God's movement in our lives through his word. Every Sunday you come to church. I come to church. The word of God is read. That should cause us to move in action to the obedience of God's word and do what the Bible says. Some of you guys are looking for new revelation and you're not obeying the revelation that God's already given you. Time for you to just obey what God's word says and then let's see what happens. But the people heard this, they fell to pieces and then listen, write this down. For this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow, what a shift. What a shift. So the Levites calmed all the people. They were having some major mental health issues at this point. They calmed them, said, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. 
because the joy of the Lord is your strength. What happened was their sin had zapped all their strength. And so they were laying worthlessly saying, I'm no good, I can't do it. We've completely lost it. You're horrible, yes, oh. And they start this, this pity party thing going on. And Nehemiah and Ezra basically go, it's time to get off your blessed assurance and do what the Bible says. I love it. Why? Because this day is holy. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's not dependent on the circumstances. Weren't the enemies out there making plans to war against Jerusalem? Yes. Their homes weren't rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem, were they? No. So their circumstances hadn't changed. What was God doing? He wasn't just rebuilding a wall for a city. He was rebuilding the lives of those that were gonna live in the city. And he did it through the reading of his word and them doing what the scripture said. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you look at this and go, okay. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink. This is Nehemiah chapter eight and send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They were humble, but the humility brought action. The humility brought holiness and that holiness caused them to go to action. And that's the third thing. The people repent and then rejoice in the Lord at the Feast of Booths. So there's a repentance and then a rejoicing. Think about the, the tax collector. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and they go to the temple? Jesus tells this parable and, they, and the Pharisee prays thus to himself, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. I give 10% of my income. I do all of these great things. But the tax collector, he went over into the corner and he beat his chest and he said, I'm not worthy and he repented, but he didn't stay in that posture. No, that posture changed him. And so the Bible says that he went out rejoicing. Sometimes when I repent, I just beat myself up. I did this like a few days ago, like I was Repenting, and then I started thinking about sins that I've repented before, and I just kept repenting on those things. Oh, yeah, God, I forgot I did that again. Please forgive me again. Who do I think I am? He already forgave me. When Jesus was on the cross and he died, he said, To tell us die. You know what that means? It means it is finished, complete. The work is done. He's forgiven us. Past, present, and future. Stop beating yourselves up. Stop staying inactive and start doing what the Bible says. And then if you mess up, guess what? You repent again. You rejoice that he's forgiven you. You thank God for what he's done. And then you start doing what the Bible says. 
So what did they do? They saw what the Bible had said and they realized, whoa, wait a second, we're supposed to make tents. This is the Feast of Booths. Jesus celebrated this feast, by the way. Every time you look at the Old Testament, put it over the gospel narrative and Christ's life and find Jesus in it. Like the, the water gate, the, the Christ is cleansing us and, and, the, and the wooden platform as the law is being read and the booths that are being made. So they went out and they made booths. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. As it is written. They just did what the scripture said. They rejoiced. And here's the key characteristic. Are you ready? And, and I was looking for this and I was praying through this and I was like, Lord, help me to understand because the next movement to chapter nine is really important. The key characteristic here is that of gratitude. They're grateful. They're grateful that God allowed them to know what the word of God said. They were grateful for what God had done, not what he hadn't done, but what he had done. When I look at this building, I see, wow, this is incredible. And some of you have walked in here and go, wow, this is amazing. You know what I have a hard time doing? Because I've been in here a bunch, and I know Mark does as well, is seeing the things that aren't done. Well, we still gotta do that, and we still gotta do that, and we still gotta do that. Uh, okay, so during worship, this is how insane I am. During worship, I see this and I go, how come we don't have any molding here? What the heck? Will we run out of molding or something? You know how broken that is? I have an opportunity to praise and worship my God and I'm worried about the molding? Now you guys are gonna all be distracted by the molding now, aren't you? I know it, I knew it. No, but that's how messed up we are sometimes. We're so focused on what God hasn't done that we miss out on being grateful for what he has. Why can't we be thankful? Why can't we look and say, God, look what you've done through your people. And in verse nine, they get it. I mean, chapter nine, they get it. Here's the next movement. Because then they just go through and they thank God for what he's done through their entire history. The Red Sea and, and the pillar of cloud. Look at verse six. He says in, in chapter nine, Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. All they start doing is thanking God for who he is and obeying his word. That's the only response when God moves, church. Gratitude. Gratitude. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Luke chapter 17. I, I want to close with this. Jesus 
is in the midst of his ministry right now here in Luke 17. And he's on the way to Jerusalem. And he's passing between Samaria and Galilee and he enters a village. Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 11. That's where we're going to start. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And what was his response? He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Church, we hear the word of God. We respond to the word of God with humility, repentance, brokenness, but then we rejoice and it ends with gratitude. Ephesians chapter five, verse 20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. You know what? Every time I see something wrong or see something broken or see something that I haven't gotten, I need to thank God for it. And you might be here today and you might be miserable because of what's going on in your life and what's happening to you. And I'm telling you today, you wanna break the cycle? You wanna break the trap? Thank God. Thank him. Thank him for the good. Thank him for the bad. In everything, give thanks. It'll break the cycle. It'll break the cycle of complaining and give me, give me, give me and wanting. And, and you'll focus on the God of the universe. And you'll be so focused on what he's done that you'll forget what he hasn't done yet. Let me share something with you. All the stuff that's happening in Israel, everybody asks me, is, is Jesus returning? Yes. I just don't know when. But he's gonna return. And do you want him to return to you crumbled up, just living in this repentance, brokenness state? Or do you want him to return where you're faithfully doing what the Bible says? This is how I want to close out the service. Worship team is going to come. We're going to close out the service. We're going to sing this gratitude song, which I'm really pumped about. But what I want to do right now is I want all of us to stand up. And this is going to be really awkward, and it's going to be a stretch for everybody. I want you all to grab hands. I know some of you have clammy, sweaty hands, but reach across the aisle. It's okay. 
COVID's over. All right? Grab hands. Because let me share with you what we're going to do. We, we are going to take this time to thank God for this building that he's given to us. Not what he hasn't done, but what he has done. We're going to be thankful for our circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to be thankful. We're going to be people that rejoice and thank God. Now, listen to me. If you have sin in your heart and you're holding on to that sin and you won't let it go and you won't repent, you're not going to get it. So right now you just say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe the message of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He bodily rose from the dead. And and I've received you into my life. Then you'll be able to enjoy what we're about to do. Because what we're gonna do right now is you're holding hands, is together, collectively, we're gonna bow our heads, we're gonna close our eyes, grab the person's hands next to you, and say this with me. Thank you, God. Say this now. Thank you, God, for my circumstances. The things you've done and the things you haven't done yet. I give you thanks. I give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. And that's more, he is more than enough. Lord Jesus, right now we thank you for each person here. And Father, collectively, we thank you for this building. We thank you for what you've done, Father. We thank you for our lives. We thank you, Father God, that there's nobody coming house to house to try to execute us, Lord God. We thank you for the country that we live in, as messed up and broken as it is, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for the things that are happening in this world, Lord God. Give us perspective to not be complainers, but to be thankful to be thankful, Lord God. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that, Father, you sent him to die on the cross for our sins, and you bodily rose from the dead. And so right now, Lord God, as we get ready to sing, we say thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen.